right, so this is a Bible study that connects with the sermon series in 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, we're just doing these two Bible studies this week on pornography and next week on homosexuality. So one brief lesson on pornography. Obviously, we've got to kind of just narrowly choose what we're going to talk about this morning. And so I've chosen to focus on the question, is, is pornography actually a big deal? And here's the simple reason why I want to focus on that. It is hard to be at a place where you say, I, I hate this, I hate pornography, but I still struggle with it. That's hard. It is far worse to be at a place where in your mind and heart you're wrestling over whether it's actually bad. That is doubly bad place to be at. So um, I want to try to help us with that this morning. And when, as Pastor John talked about this morning, the, ultimately the battle and the victory are in the mind. It is through the renewing of the mind. And so when we're in those moments where we're battling the temptation or sexual images have been put in front of us when we didn't choose them, it's really important to be able to quickly remember why this matters. Um, So that's what I want to try to help us with this morning. I am using the word pornography to describe any sexually inappropriate images we might see. In other words, I'm using the word in a little bit of a uniquely Christian way, not just to refer to porn sites and porn somebody might, might pay for, I'm using the word to also describe the way people are dressed in public in July in California sometimes, um, the billboards and ads we see, as well as movies, streaming shows, video games, all of the content in those things that's just sexually inappropriate. I'm referring to all those things with this word, and the question is whether those things are actually a big deal um, or not. And part of the reason why I make that point is just because it's important for us to, to, to say it doesn't matter whether you pay for it or not. That's, that's beside the point. The question is, what do we do with sexually inappropriate images however um, we, we come across them? Now, because I'm focusing on this area, that means we're not talking now about practical steps toward obedience. So let me just mention a couple practical things and resources. First, Um, Pastor John already said it this morning, the answer for the sin of pornography is not different from the answer for other sins. It is word, prayer, and body of Christ. It is the same big three things. And so word means your soul is being well-fed on God's word individually and then through sermons and so forth. Secondly, you're consistently walking with God in prayer, including praying specifically about those temptations And thirdly, you're being open with some of your brothers or sisters in Christ, and they are walking with you through this path of sanctification. Um, As as he said earlier in the sermon, you just almost never, at least as pastors, we almost never come across somebody significantly struggling with these things that doesn't have a gaping hole in one of those areas or more of those three areas areas. So many great resources about this today, and I'm thankful to be able to say that because some of you know that there was a time when that wasn't so much the case. The 1990s were a time when there was a lot that came out on this, and some of it was just like explicit and unhelpful. Um, So that's, there's a lot of stuff today that's great. Um, I've written a little booklet study guide that's called Living Purely in an Impure World. There are a few copies of it up here if you want to come grab one 
afterwards, you're welcome to it, or um, also just ask and we could send it to you. Um, it's old. <laughs> I wrote it a long time ago. It probably needs updated, um, but a, a bunch of men in our church have been through it and, and been helped by it. Um, I love this book by Joe Rigney that's called More Than a Battle. So if we can get these um, titles up on slide here, Karis. There we go. And one more. Yeah, More Than a Battle by Joe Rigney. This is a great book. It's very practical, and yet at the right moments, he also just really goes deep and nails the theology and even kind of philosophy sometimes. Um, so it, I, I highly recommend it. Now, he does. He he gives opinions, advice about some of the really stickiest questions about this, including some things about how to handle it in, in marriage and confession and so forth, and you might not agree with him on all those things, um, but... Um, it is a great resource. And another advantage of this book is that he has brief sections all along the way to help you help somebody else. Uh, so great book, uh, More Than a Battle by Joe Rigney. If you want an entire book that's designed to help you help somebody else, um, then you want Rescue Plan by Deepak Riju and Jonathan Holmes. Um, this whole book is written from the standpoint of how to help somebody else, charting a course to restore prisoners of pornography. That's a great book. And one of the reasons why this book is really helpful is because they very intentionally make sure this book is for both men and women, and they have a great chapter on um, the similarities and differences of the sexual struggles between men and women. Um, so that's one of the values of that book. And then for just encouragement, just somebody to preach at your heart and, and, and the Lord to stir you up to obey uh, and this book is very particularly for men, but this is Ray Orland, The Death of Porn, Men of Integrity Building a World of Nobility. And um, he doesn't get into the, you know, the practical steps and things like that. He just preaches in a very encouraging way. Um, so that's a great uh, biblical pep talk for the heart. And then uh, one other recommendation, and I have a couple, all these things I'll put over here for you to look at if you'd like. Don't take them. Um, there are a couple of other books here, including the book that we went through in last Sunday's sermon, if you want to take a look at that. I also wanted to mention this book that Pastor John quoted this morning, Holy Sexuality uh, by Christopher Wan. It's actually Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, Sex, Desire, and Relationships Shaped by God's Grand Story. Two reasons why I want to mention this. One is because this is especially helpful for those who may be struggling with same-sex desire. Uh, Christopher Wan was an homosexual atheist before God saved him. And second of all, that book is really helpful because he tackles um, something that you don't find in a lot of the resources. He tackles the challenge of inappropriate desire that's not sexual. Maybe we could use the word romantic for it. The, and um, that, that's very important because there is, there are, Pastor John said today, quoting that book, what makes a desire sinful is when the end of that desire is sinful. And so if in my heart I am noticing this other woman and thinking, man, I wonder what it would be like to be married to her instead. The, 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 des, the end of that desire is adultery. And so that desire itself is is sinful. And there may not have to be anything sexual about that. 
It may be personality or something else that is my heart is wishing I could have a relationship with that person that I cannot have in a godly way. So he works through that kind of non-visually sexual aspect of sexual temptation in a way that's important and helpful. So um, those are some great resources. But to move on to what we're talking about here, what you find in many books about pornography is that they skip over the question, the foundational question, why is it wrong? So I want us to just work through a list of reasons. Now, I've given us 19. I guarantee you we could make 19 more and 19 more. Um, this is not at all an exhaustive list. It is more of a sample list. Um, you will see on this list that I use the word evil a lot. And I'm using that word on purpose. First of all, because it has an edge to it that I think is helpful. And second of all, because it's what Jesus said in Matthew 15:19. He said, out of the heart come evil thoughts. And then he specifically named sexual immorality. So I'm going to use that word um, quite often here. And then just one more caveat or whatever. Um, this list could have a thousand reasons on it. And it wouldn't matter if our hearts didn't have soft soil to receive any of them. Right? And if God's Spirit didn't work on our hearts with it and draw us to Him so that we trust Him. As I've tried to just pray about this for my heart and for your heart, what I found myself praying last night was, God, woo us to Yourself that we might trust in the goodness of God. That really is the bottom line here. So let's pray. Father, help us not just to get caught up in some logical list of reasons and question about whether this is okay or that's okay, but rather to be drawn by the heart of God to see evil and hate it and to love you and just trust you and your goodness toward us. So help us now by your Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Number one, and there's, this is, there's a certain kind of randomness to this list except for the last three. Number one, since our body belongs to the Holy Spirit, we cannot glorify Him if we participate in those things that dominate us. Okay, so I put this first because I'm saying here, even if viewing pornography was in some way okay, which it's not, it is still a dominating, addictive product that takes over our brains and our bodies with severe consequences. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, I will not be dominated by anything. And then a few verses later, flee from sexual immorality. And then a few verses later, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. So I will not be dominated by anything. As we saw last Sunday, even non-Christians understand that pornography causes physical damage. The neurological, chemical, hormonal realities of porn use, and especially the combination of pornography and masturbation, rewires our brains in ways that are even more intense than some other common addictions. Proverbs 5 verse 20 says, Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? Ephesians 5.18 says, you know, don't be drunk with wine. But it could say, don't be drunk with porn, but be filled with the Spirit. Pornography is the opposite of being controlled by God's Spirit because it is so addictive and even uh, damaging in, in our neurological wiring. Number two, the godly man should never stand in the way of sinners 
or sit in the seat of scoffers. That's Psalm 1, 1. When you go to the places where pornography is accessible, you are walking into these like command centers of evil. The trick is it doesn't feel like it because you're physically in your home or your office or your car looking at a screen. But you've actually come into the presence of scoffers and you've taken a seat with them. And even if you think, well, I'm not going to do anything, you're there with them as if you're one of the wicked. And Psalm 1 says, that is not what the blessed man does. That's what the wicked man, who's the chaff that God's just going to blow away, does. Don't stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers and then pat yourself on the back saying, well, I'm not going to do anything. Number three, it is deadly folly. And that's not an exaggeration. That's what Proverbs says. It is deadly folly to expose ourselves to the seductive looks of the adulteress. Proverb, to just quote a little bit of this, Proverbs says, Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Many a victim she has laid low. Do not stray into her paths. Don't put yourself in the position where she looks you in the eye. There's a reason why very little pornography doesn't involve eye contact. Number four, it is deadly folly to expose ourselves to the smooth words of the adulteress. Porn is rarely just about images. It often involves words, even if it's just a few words in the caption of that social media post. Because, um, and, and Joe Rigney gets into this so very well in his book, porn is this fake relationship between you and the person. Um, and so words are part of that. And Proverbs talks about this over and over and over again and says that listening to those words, here's Proverbs, here's one of Proverbs' illustration. Listening to those words is like an oxen outside the slaughterhouse who hears a voice in the slaughterhouse and says, hey, what are they saying? I want to hear that. Oh, they're calling me to go in. It's like that. That's why it's deadly because the end of that is spiritual death. So the point there in number three and number four is we don't want to put ourselves in a place where there is that eye contact indirectly or directly or that those words that seduce. Number five, it is deeply damaging to entertain ourselves with unrealistic portrayals of sex in the human body. Um, Louise Perry does a great job of breaking that down in its all of its horrors in the book that we talked about last week. You know, in the old days, <laughs> way back 20 years ago, everybody, everybody talked about Photoshop, right? Pornography is Photoshopped. It's fake. Well, yeah, but now with CGI and AI, the entire person can be artificial, though very believable. And even worse the entire relationship can be artificial. And so how can real relationships compete? AI girlfriends are already here, folks, both in AI and in robots and together, and they don't have any of the complications of female personalities. 
and they don't have any of the flaws of actual female bodies. Why would you want some imperfect human when you can have perfection instead? Louise Perry calls these things super stimuli, and she says they are maladaptive. They malform you. Pornography malforms what men think women should be like. It also malforms what both men and women think sex should be like and what they think they should expect from one another. That is not the way to pursue God's beautiful, real plans for male and female and sex with real people, real bodies, real relationship. <clears throat> Number six, it is evil to enjoy the immodesty that results from Satan's cultural deceptions. Oftentimes, the, sexual, the sexually provocative things we see in public are due to the fact that people just wear what the culture tells them they should wear. In other words, there are lots of types of public places, you know, beaches and amusement parks and whatever, where many people, especially in summer, are wearing barely any clothes. And some of them might be very intentional about that, like the girls trying to, you know, make the date she's with happy or they're making videos for their social media or whatever. But many times they're wearing nearly nothing simply because that's what everybody does. And our heart should not say, oh, I like that. Our heart should say, that is sad. That is deception. They have taken the precious value of their body and turned it into something cheap because they have been deceived by Satan through the power of a culture. He wants to steal that person's precious God-given value and turn it into cheap trash. Can we go back to that picture Pastor John showed us? I want to show you something else from this picture. So Pastor John was showing you this picture largely to talk about the walls because of what Proverbs says. But just one other thing I noticed when he had this picture up here. There's a road down here into this fortress. And look what's right here on this road a big line of boulders to keep vehicles from driving up into that. Well, now, come on. Shouldn't people be free? Like, who are we to limit? What if somebody feels like they need to drive into that? That's who they are. That's their identity, someone who drives into that fortress. And we can't block their freedom and tell them they can't do that. I'm being tongue-in-cheek. Why is it blocked? Why are those boulders on that road? Because that's a really precious site, and not anybody should be able to just drive around in there. That wouldn't be there anymore if people could just, you know, go practice their cookies and their four-wheeler in there. And yet, what the world says about your body is, what your world says about your body is, that if you're cool, you'll make sure anybody has access up that road to do whatever they want with your body. It takes what is precious and devalues it. And for you and I, maybe we would say, well, I wouldn't do that. But then we see it, and our heart shouldn't say, oh, that's nice, I like that. Our heart should say, it is heartbreaking that they have been deceived and are just going with the flow like that. They were told to get those boulders removed, or they wouldn't be acceptable, loved, cool, whatever. All right, you can take that back down. Number seven, it is evil 
to seek pleasure by learning about sexual sins, even if we don't actually watch them and say we'd never do them ourselves. This is one of the ways in which pornography doesn't have to actually involve images. It can just be curiously wanting to learn more about what the world does sexually. And Ephesians 5 says it's shameful to be speaking about those things as if we can get some pleasure from the sexual sins of others without doing them ourselves. We need to seek God's strength to turn away from that. It's curiosity about rebellion against God. And that's not the way to honor, to please God. Number, number eight, it is evil to enjoy abuse. And I mentioned this last Sunday in this setting. We can't get into any details of that. Um, but so much modern pornography is actually abusive and glossed over with um, the consent idea and so forth. Um, it is, it is, and some of you will know about the the what's 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 happened in the last three or four years with the biggest porn site in the world and the amount of just um, horrific stuff that they were covering up, but. Much pornography today is glamorized, glossed over rape. That's the bottom line. Or other forms of sexual violence. And it would be evil for any believer to seek and enjoy what infuriates God, who calls us to protect and heal, not abuse. Number nine, it is evil to support slavery. And Louise Perry calls the porn industry predatory. The models and actors are so often groomed and brainwashed and are very often in an abusive, controlling relationship in one way or another and are sometimes trafficked. It is the modern slavery. I'm not saying there aren't places where direct slavery doesn't still happen, but the most common modern slavery is via pornography, around pornography, the sex industry. And when the when the victims are in the industry, they don't talk about it. They say, this is great, we love this. When they get out of the industry, then they start talking. And there are books and books and books of the testimonies of people who left the sex industry and then talked about how, how horrifying it was. It is evil to support slavery. And number 10, it is evil to believe the lie of consent to say, well, it's not slavery and it's not abusive because she says she likes it. Um, It is evil to believe that. We talked about this last Sunday, and we recognize this in other settings, right? If you've got a hostage video and the hostage says, I love it here. They're treating us great. This is like a five-star resort. You don't say, oh, wow, those terrorists aren't who I thought they were, right? You see through that. But when it comes to sexual things, people just see an 18, 19, 20-year-old say, this is great, I love it. And they say, oh, that must be great then. Everything's good. Is it? We know there is coercion. We know there is brainwashing. Does the 19-year-old who agrees to hook up with the cute guy, does she really know what she's doing? In other words, is her consent actually fully informed consent? that makes it just fine and without any danger or damage? Do the people who are supposedly consenting truly understand the physical 
emotional, mental, and spiritual consequences of what they're consenting to? No. And so Christians should never be deceived by the lie that consent makes it okay. And of course, ultimately, we know only God's consent makes something okay, not, not people's consent anyways. Number 11, it's evil to fund evil. So you can pay for pornography, you can pay for video games that are pornographic, you can pay for movies that are pornographic, but um, you hardly need to pay for anything these days, and so we need remembered that we need to reminded that clicking is supporting. Viewing is supporting. That's the way the internet works. The web runs on clicks. And so to give attention to something online is to, to support it. Number 12, the sexual rebellion of others should never be the Christian's entertainment. That's a little bit of a general one that points us ahead to some of the things we're going to talk about next. But those who love God shouldn't entertain themselves by watching other people rebel against God. So one question, if, if you find yourself trapped in this rationalization of, yeah, but is it, is it really bad? One of the questions, not all the questions, but one of the questions to ask yourself is, are the people who have produced whatever I'm looking at, were they honoring God when they did that? And if they weren't honoring God when they did that, then the answer is no, it's not ever right for you to enjoy that for, for your own sexual thrill. Number 13, it is evil to enjoy someone else's use of their sexual appeal to earn money or attention. Sexual appeal is a gift from God with a beautiful purpose, but selling your sex appeal is not that purpose. Now, some people sell their sex appeal directly for money, but many other people do it indirectly by using their sexual appeal to get attention that then helps them, you know, advance their, their social media cooking channel or whatever it is. Um, or there's no money involved at all. It just helps them feel wanted and valued, and it would be evil to feed our flesh on that. That ought to grieve us that someone would take their sexual appeal and give it to the world to make themselves feel like somebody wants them. That should break our heart, not, not um, gratify our flesh. Uh, number 14, it is evil to enjoy someone else's public display of their nakedness. Yes, we know that the human body is good and that it's a gift from God and that it's part of our creation in His image. But that doesn't mean our bodies are supposed to be displayed for other people to see. When Adam and Eve were all alone in the garden, when it was just the two of them and before sin, they were naked. And it's right for nakedness to be part of marriage as two people give themselves completely to one another. But that's only for marriage. It's a very serious covenant relationship, marriages where two people are giving themselves completely to one another for life. That's where nakedness belongs. In other words, that's a road with boulders across it to guard something precious. As Proverbs says, those springs of blessing are for that couple alone in marriage. So then outside of marriage, 
when the Bible talks about nakedness, it talks about it as a sign of either great poverty or spiritual rebellion or God's judgment. And so when someone displays their nakedness and we stumble across it, part of our response has to be, no, that doesn't belong to me. That nakedness is not mine. And so that person shouldn't be displaying it, and I'm not going to enjoy the fact that they are because God didn't give me that body. Number 15, it is evil to enjoy someone else's public display of a sexual relationship. doesn't matter whether it's a real couple or actors. Sex acts should never be watched. And that's obvious from all the other reasons we've just listed. Number 16, hookup culture and premarital sex should not be the Christian's entertainment. I'm referring here to how many movies and TV shows make, you know, hooking up and casual sex a fun, positive part of the story, even, you know, an essential part of the story, a central part of the story. They glamorize it. And glamorizing premarital sex should not be our entertainment as people who love God and honor marriage. All right. Take a breath. It's okay to breathe. It's also okay to talk about these things, right? Now, we're almost done, actually. Uh, though the last three points are a little longer. So we're, we're coming now to Matthew 5.28. And these are not the only principles from Matthew 5.28, but two principles. And that's where Jesus said, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what was Jesus really teaching there? Um, Two of the principles are this. Number 17, wishing to have access to someone else's nakedness is sinful covetousness. Okay, Jesus there in Matthew 5 speaks specifically to men. So I'm going to talk about it in that sense. It is normal to see a beautiful woman and have an instinctive reaction that says she's beautiful. But to move on from that and dwell on her body is covetousness because you're wishing that body was yours to see and that body was yours to think about, or at least you're acting like that body is yours to see or to think about. But God didn't give you that body. So you're coveting what God has not given. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about how in marriage, the, what he says is, is striking in its strength. He says, the wife has authority over her husband's body, and the husband has authority over his wife's body. Now, of course, that's in the context of self-sacrificing Christ-like love for one another and what he's talking about. But he's saying, in a sense, married couples' bodies belong to one another and not anybody else. Proverbs 6.25 says, Do not desire her beauty in your heart. It's one thing to notice beauty. It's another thing to desire it Now, in Proverbs 6, he's talking about the evil woman's body, but the principle about covetousness is true about any body that doesn't belong to you. 
So to notice beauty is one thing. To linger there in your mind and heart quickly moves into covetousness. It's saying to God, you should have given me that body to enjoy. So I'm going to take it anyways, at least with my eyes, at least in my mind and imagination. Wishing to have access to someone else's nakedness is sinful covetousness. And number 18, imagining what it would be like to have a sexual relationship with someone else is sinful covetousness. So again, to notice beauty is one thing. To linger there and think about how cool it would be to have a sexual relationship with that person is, is obviously covetous. Again, it's like saying to God, God, you, you messed up because you didn't give me that, so I'm going to take it for myself anyways, at least with my eyes and with my imagination. I'm going to get it even though you didn't give it to me. And that's what sin is, right? I'm going to get it even though you didn't give it to me. And you can see here that when we're thinking about sexual sin, including pornography, covetousness is a key theme. That goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife because the tendency of our heart is to covet, to want more than whatever God has given or to want something other than what God has given. There are several of those key passages in the New Testament about immorality that Pastor John referred to this morning that when talking about sexual immorality also list covetousness and greed. And so this is one of the key questions we have to ask ourselves. Am I desiring something that God has not given to me? It may be subtle. It may kind of be subconscious. But really what's going on is we're saying, man, I wish I I had access to that body. I wish that body was mine. It's good to remember also that 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 next thing we want, that we wish God would, would have given us, won't ever actually satisfy Proverbs 27.20, never satisfied are the eyes of man. I, I have this big rotation of verses that I pray through. And just this week, one of the verses that I was reminded about and praying about was the verse that says, that tells us that Solomon had at least a thousand wives and concubines. And that's a tragic thing. That's a horrific thing. But it's also a reminder that that one more body you think you want It's not the way your heart works. Your heart's going to want more and more and more and more and other and other and other until you come to a place where you trust in God's wisdom and goodness. So a really basic starting point regarding pornography is to learn by the Spirit of God to say, that's not mine. God didn't give me that person. He didn't give me that person's body. It's not mine to take, no matter how much they want me to see it. It's not mine. All right, one final principle, number 19. And again, this is not final. You could make this list go on and on, but we'll finish with this. It is evil to enjoy the results of Satan's crusade against life. This is a theme that's come up several times in the last several months, and I want to make sure we get the theme and see that it connects directly to pornography. It's not just about abortion or something like that. It is about pornography too. It is part... When, when you look at how the world handles sex today, 
you have to keep seeing that Satan wants to destroy the very basics of human life because God is the author of life. And so Satan wants people to turn against their God-given sex as male or female. I mean, what a home run that is for him, right? And then he wants them to hormonally or surgically create disease and disorder in their God-given maleness or femaleness. He wants men to desire men and women to desire women. He wants people to think sex has no special meaning. You can hook up whenever you want, whatever you want. He wants people to sell their bodies, right? And sell sex and sell themselves having sex. He wants prostitution and trafficking since no one involved in those things actually wants a baby to result. See this? Satan wants the kind of sex where no one involved actually wants a baby to result. And he also loves prostitution and trafficking because the victims of those things are horribly harmed. He wants unexpected pregnancies so that then they can end in abortion. He wants abusive relationships. He wants abusive sex to make people think they're supposed to have abusive sex. He wants AI bodies that are so perfect that it's hard to desire a real imperfect body. He wants mobile internet access so that you can get pornography anywhere you want. He wants brains to be rewired by porn addictions. He wants discontented married couples to turn to porn rather than working to heal their relationship. He wants porn addictions to render men unable to have a healthy relationship with a real woman. He wants abortion to end the lives of babies. We could keep going and going, but the point for today is that everything about pornography is designed by Satan to undermine healthy marriages with healthy sexual relationships. Marriages, especially healthy Christian marriages, are a huge threat to him because they might result in both physical life and spiritual life as children are born and discipled. So he will do everything possible to undermine God's plan for sex and marriage. And we see the results of it all around us. You can't live in the world today and avoid seeing things you shouldn't see. But it helps a lot if we quickly see, there it is. There is the devil's crusade against life. There it is. Again, there is the devil. There it is. Again, there is the devil's crusade against life. You see, the beauty of that, if by the Spirit of God in our hearts, that's a quick response, not a long time later, after we've gratified our flesh on, on those evil things. Satan is out to destroy those girls wearing almost nothing on the beach. They've got an enemy who wants to devour. Those couples who are just hooking up for fun, he's out to devour them. Those people who are watching those explicit Netflix series hour after hour after hour, he is licking his chops at the destruction he can work in their lives. So sexually inappropriate things are all around us. But what we want as Christians is to recognize the devil's assault on life, to not seek those things. And when they are thrown in front of us unwillingly, to not feed our flesh on them, to come back to our love for God and our contentment with God and what God has given to us. And actually, ultimately, we want to become not just people who are 
fighting back against temptation, but we want to actually become warriors who are fighting for what's good and right. That's where um, Ray Ortland's book is so, is so good. That's why his subtitle is Men of Integrity Building a World of Nobility. Not just trying to survive a world of perversity, but building a world of nobility. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Don't stop there. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. How can you be the kind of man or woman in this world, in this culture, who is truly, fully pro-life? And pornography is not the way. Christians should be warriors for life and love, honoring and treasuring human beings, honoring human sexuality, honoring God-given beauty, defending the vulnerable, hating and attacking evil. Let's not just live on the defensive here. Let's stand up by God's grace to fight against what is evil and ugly and abusive and slavery and defilement and death instead of secretly feeding our flesh on those things, which is to participate in in the evil. Okay. So here are three things you could do with this. Three P's. First, pick five or ten of these. Some of them may not be especially persuasive to you. Some of them may not especially be meaningful to you. But hopefully a few things on this list are. So pick the five on this list that are most meaningful to you, that are most impactful in your heart, or 10, or, or 15, or 19. Um, the first P is pick. The second P is pray. Pray those things. I have found, I have been very, very blessed and encouraged in my own personal prayer life by ensuring that I have a set of key things that for a season, I pray every single day. That has helped me. Here are key areas in my heart, key areas in my family. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to sound good or weird for me to say it this way, but some of you are there on my everyday I pray for you list. And just this morning, I was just thinking to myself, there are some answers to prayer I'm seeing right here today from some people that I'm praying for every day. And other people are praying for you too. Um, So there are things in my own heart and my own life. And sometimes I'm like, ah, I'm praying this every day. But that is so good for the renewing of the mind, the transforming of your thinking. Am I still here? There we go. So first of all, pick five or ten of these things that you're going to focus on. Second of all, pray them. Try actually praying them every day. Try it for a week. Try it for a month. Try it for six months. Pray, pray, pray those things. Thirdly, the third P is people. You, you just have to get out of the individual isolation with this. No, it seems like this huge taboo. You can't talk about it. There's no way you're going to be able to tell anybody else and let them walk with you through it. You have to. Remember, it's word, prayer, and body of Christ. That's how we grow. And so in one way or another, 
you've got to get some people involved. You've got to have a brother or sister that you go to and say, hey, will you, will you pray with me about this? Will you read a, take one of these books and say, hey, could we read this together? Would you walk with me through this? And those books, they'll help you do that too in healthy ways that are not weird. Um, so pick five, pray, and people. That's three ways you could um, respond to this. And if, you're, if you happen to be in the place where Today, as you've heard me talk about these things, you can say, by the grace of God, you know, it's really just not a big struggle in my life right now. It's not an area I'm pursuing. It's not an area of sin. Then I just want to urge you, you have got to be helping other people. If you're not involved with really helping disciple other people right now and and God's brought you to that place of some spiritual strength and stability, oh, man, first of all, start praying Lord, who could I walk with in this? Um, And then, you know, whatever, Discipleship Connect, prayer meeting, conversations here, just see what God will bring up because we so much need a whole culture of people in our different ways, in our different temptations, in our different stages of life, in our different personalities, our different ages, really helping each other grow in the Lord with, with these things. All right, let's pray. Father, we commit to you these truths and our hearts. And our prayer as we began was for uh, soft hearts. And so we just come back to that now. Seed has been sown in the last 40 minutes. Now we pray that seed would grow. You know each area of resistance in our hearts. You know the ways in which we might be, some might be really just deeply hurting. Life is broken. Relationships might be broken. And this is just really painful to even try to think through. I pray that you would draw them with your goodness into a satisfying relationship with God, even when earthly relationships have been very broken and painful. I pray for those that are just too scared to talk about it, that you would grant them the humility to walk with brothers and sisters on the path of sanctification. I pray for our young people here. Some of them have been graciously protected from a lot of the world's junk, and they're trying to wrap their mind around what we're talking about. I pray that you would strengthen them to love you and walk with you and just trust you so fully that the world's junk is not something that they want to turn to because they have joy in you. I pray that you'd, you'd strengthen them as they continue growing up. And I pray for young people that have already uh, begun gratifying their flesh on what the world makes available, and it may be their big secret today. And I pray that you would break and humble them, but also with gospel hope and joy, send them to their parents, Lord. Um, And if they do not have strength of heart for that, then give them strength of heart or, or expose the sin. I pray for those for whom you have really given a sweet measures of victory in this area. And I pray that you would allow them to, um, be a discipling, strengthening help for others. I pray for those for whom it's not visual, sexual temptations, 
but it may be just the covetousness of longing for a different relationship, a different kind of spouse. I pray for those that may be struggling with same-sex desire or even with gender confusion. And Father, in all these ways, oh, how sufficient You are. You are Yahweh, the great I Am, the God of creation. And Christ is sufficient. All that we need is in Him. So in each of these scenarios and all the ones I haven't mentioned, work in our hearts, strengthen us, draw us to You, turn us from evil to hate it, and fill us with You to love You and know You, walk with You. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.